0: So, question, if you're unsure, even if you're unsure about who God is or if there even is a God and you're just sort of questioning all that, there is no more important matter than understanding your status before that God. What could be more important? So, and equally, if you're new to church and you've never heard a talk like this, this is usually what we call a sermon or a talk, then this is a great week to come, not because it's going to be the best talk you'll ever here, because I absolutely guarantee it will not be, but because we're talking about the heart of the Christian message. This is the most important week, because we're talking about the most important matter. So that's exciting. So I don't think you need a story to inspire you to listen, because this is the key. This is it. right? Is that exciting? Yeah, right. I like it when you make some noise, so feel free to chip in, feel free to say yeah, feel free to say no. Tash is good at that, but other people, feel free to just make some noise. I enjoy that. You'll not put me off. It'll make me feel like you're, you're with me and you're listening. Let's read the Bible together. Keith here is going to read to us the section that we talked about, Acts 15. Get it open. Listen to Keith.
1: Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, that the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name." says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Thank you,
0: Keith. And there's the last verse there that we're also going to cover a little bit. But actually, I'm not going to talk about that in great detail. So uh, we'll cover that more next week, anyway. Right, so we are about halfway through the story of this book, this book of Acts, this um, summary of the early followers of Jesus. And you'll know if you've been with us since the beginning that the good news of Jesus um, began with these terrified group of Jewish followers in Jerusalem, but they were given a message by God, empowered and emboldened, and through that, this message has spread and it spread through Jerusalem and it spread outside of Jerusalem to other areas. And now we're even hearing stories of the first Gentiles, that's non-Jews, hearing and responding to the good news of Jesus. Just look back in your Bibles up above the big 15 to the little 27 there, 1427, uh, and we hear this. On arriving there, they gathered uh, the church together and reported all that God had done them Uh, done through them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. It's this report of Gentiles coming to faith, of hearing the news of Jesus and responding, that is the context for what happens next in chapter 15. So here we are at our section, look down at uh, verse 1, the first bit. Uh, Verse 1, certain people, on hearing the news, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, this is a, clearly a big deal. There's a map of with the two arrows showing uh, Jerusalem at the bottom and Antioch at the top. It's a massive distance. We're talking 300 miles. And so these guys, that may take you three weeks, four weeks to get there. right? So they, they hear this report and they are so concerned that they go down from Jerusalem to Antioch or go up as it looks on the map. But anyway, they go up to Jerusalem and, uh, and make, this, make this point. And, and the reason it's such a big deal is because it's about who is, who is in God's people? Who's a part of God's people? It's so central. What does it take to get right with God? And they think this is so important that they go up to talk about it. And they are saying, these certain people are saying, that you need to be circumcised first if you want to be saved. Uh, And of course, circumcision is this physical sign of identification with the Jewish people. Uh, And it's not a totally unreasonable position. It was all through the Old Testament. Here's Genesis 17. That's Abraham uh, and his family are circumcised, and God tells them to do that. And that pattern exists right through the Old Testament. Uh, And they're saying, that's what's needed to get right with God. You need to do that act first like God said back in the old days, uh, uh, and then you'll be right with God. And if you go on to verse 5, you can see, just skip down to verse 5 in your Bibles, then the believers, uh, the, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So they go further than even just circumcision. Yeah, you need to be circumcised. You also need to keep the law of Moses. That's a lot of the stuff we find in the Old Testament. And they are saying salvation is through faith in Jesus. Yes, it is through faith in Jesus. Yeah, you need to do that. But you also need to be circumcised and you need to keep all the Jewish Old Testament laws. And notice how they use the words must and cannot. Verse one, cannot be saved. Must do these things in order to be saved. They're saying this is essential. This is like God proved that you must do these things. And what they're really saying, in other words, well, what they're really saying is this. It's Jesus plus law equals salvation. That's what it takes to be saved. And when you think about what that would mean for Gentiles, it's quite, quite a big deal. And not only circumcision being a big deal, but also the following of all these laws. They're saying you need to leave behind your culture. All those things that you do and all those foods that you eat and all those things that are important to you and your heritage and your, all of the stuff that you've grown up in, leave that behind and become a Jew. Do all the Jewish things. So leave your culture, move out of that, come into our culture, be subsumed, and from there, then, then you can be saved. Jesus plus law equals salvation, is what they're saying. And this brings them into sharp dispute with Paul and Barnabas. And the reason for that is because Paul and Barnabas have been saying the exact opposite all the way through the book of Acts. I've just picked one example from Acts 13, 38. Here's Paul. He's actually speaking to Jews here. And he says, through Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So he's saying it's Jesus alone, not the law, not circumcision. The law cannot save you. And this creates this major fault line for the church. Who is truly saved? Is it those people who are Jews first and circumcised, and then become followers, or is there another way? Uh, And they can't work this out. They need to uh, get HQ. And so they all decide to go down to Jerusalem, 300 miles the other way, big journey. Uh, And the leaders meet, uh, and we see this verse four. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. And they meet to uh, discuss this question. Who can be saved? Who can be saved Who can be a part of God's people? How does it happen? The Pharisees, now, these are not the Pharisees that we find in the New Testament Gospels, if you're just getting confused by that. These are people who've come out of that tradition to believe that Jesus was the Messiah but they're now yeah, getting confused a wee bit here talking about the circumcision in law. Anyway, these Pharisees present their case, Jesus plus law. We don't really have any of the details of how they justify it or how they argue it. They just, that's the case. And we don't have any details. But Luke does give us a lot of details on the opposing formula. The one he wants us to see, that's Luke, the writer of this book. The one he wants us to see is the right one, the true one. And we have these three speeches that build the case that the true way of salvation is not Jesus plus law, but Jesus plus nothing. Just Jesus. And we start with Peter. Uh, And so Peter talks about his experience, and he doesn't name the exact thing he's talking about, but what he's talking about here is his experience with a chap called Cornelius, which you can read about in Acts 11. And if you were here, we've looked at it before. Uh, That incident probably happened maybe 10 years earlier uh, with Cornelius, uh, uh, and Cornelius was a Gentile a, a soldier who comes to faith, but he's not circumcised, and he doesn't keep the law. But Peter's saying he was still accepted by God, and I told you that story. And he wants to emphasize, Peter wants to emphasize in his speech how this is God's doing, okay? So look at verse seven. Come to verse seven. Peter got up, addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you and chose Peter to go and speak to Cornelius. Verse eight, God who knows the heart shows he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit. Verse nine, he did not discriminate between them. God, he purified their hearts by faith. God's choice, God's gift, God's saving. God, God, God. Not Peter going off the reservation, including people that he shouldn't have, slightly dodgy folk or whatever. No, this is from the beginning. God's been involved. God's a part of this. It's always been part of the plan. Next up, Paul and Barnabas, uh, verse 12. We, they give evidence. So Peter's talking about his experience. Paul and Barnabas talk about the evidence that they've seen uh, and the evidence being these signs and wonders. We don't have much detail of that because there's whole... The 14 chapters of Acts where you can read all the details. So Luke doesn't give us it again in this account, but he just says, summarizing the first 14 books, um, they told of these signs and wonders. And these signs and wonders are saying God is present, God is at work, God is active. These signs and wonders authenticate the message that Paul and Barnabas are preaching. And they, yeah, they authenticate that message. Finally, then, up comes James. Now, James here, brother of Jesus, um, not the James, obviously, who was killed a few uh, chapters ago. Um, uh, and he is the head of the council, probably, this council that's meeting here. He's the head of that. And he's probably a conservative guy, small c, conservative, maybe more traditional, Jewish background, kind of, you know, sort of trustworthy elder statesman type guy. Uh, and he speaks from, he wants to make the point that Scripture agrees with this as well. So we've got evidence from evidence from Paul and Barnabas, but also James is saying, well, the scriptures agree. Uh, and he reads from this section back in the book of Amos, which was written 800 years earlier. So 800 years ago, Israel is in decline. Things not going well for the state of Israel, but God gives Amos a message, a promise, that looks forward to an unknown time when... He is going to rebuild David's fallen tent. Verse 16, I'll rebuild David's fallen tent. That's another poetic way of talking about the nation of Israel. And then he says, and through that, through David's rebuilt tent, all nations are going to be blessed. And he says, even all the Gentiles. He's going to gather people to them. So he's going to rebuild Israel, restore Israel. And through that, then other nations are going to come in. Gentiles, non-Jews are going to be included in God's people. Uh, uh, And what James is saying is that this is that. This is this happening. This 800-year-old promise, ta-da, we're here. This is it now, happening. This is God doing what he promised all along. He's using Israel, the nation of Israel, to reach out beyond Israel and to draw them in, draw these other people in. So this is a welcomed fulfillment. It's it's something we should be glad about, not, not something that we should be unsure about. We should be welcoming this. And he's, he's making the point that this promise, the promises that were given to Israel were always meant to be for more, meant to be for more than Israel. It wasn't just God was going to build this lovely, precious nation of Israel and really look after it, and that would be his treasured possession, and that would be it. But no, he, through that, he was going to draw all nations to himself, spreading out from Israel to all nations. And James is saying, here, now, this is it. The scriptures have told us to expect this. This is it happening. So we've got experience, we've seen it happen, Cornelius, we've got evidence, these signs and wonders that Paul and Barnabas have been a part of, and we've got scripture that this has been promised before and is now being fulfilled. And Peter's phrase here in verse 11 summarizes this whole thing. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. Amen? Amen. Yes, that's right. So we agree with Peter, yeah. Good. So grace and grace alone. That's what Peter's saying. It's not Jesus plus. And he's saying it's grace and grace alone. It's how the Gentiles are saved. It's how the Jews are saved. It's how anyone is saved. And as one writer puts it very neatly, and who I'm uh, taking this from, from a book of the same name, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so... Having had that big, long-ranging discussion, verse 19, we should not make it difficult. This is James, the head of the council, stands up, summarizes the whole thing, says, right, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So, not Jesus plus law equals nothing, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. given oh, giving it away too soon. Now, Jesus, law, circumcision, maybe, I'm not surprised, if it feels a million miles away from your life here in 21st century. Um, I don't know how many of you are concerned with Jewish food laws. I imagine none of you. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands about circumcision. But the point being is you can probably be sitting there like I was when I first read this passage thinking, well, I'm glad I don't make that mistake. I've never told anybody, I'm an elder in the church. I've never told anyone to be circumcised or keep Jewish food laws. So good on me. Uh, I'm not making the same mistake as these daft Pharisees. But I want to suggest that this actually hits a lot closer to home than we think. And I want to suggest that Jesus plus is our default position when thinking about our salvation and the salvation of others. The longer you've been around church and the longer you've been a Christian, I think we tilt toward this way of thinking. We kind of start off with grace alone, right? So, you know, when you become a Christian, well, I was in a right mess and, you know, Jesus, well, he saved me by his grace and there's nothing I could, I, brilliant, 100% grace. But gradually, imperceptibly, over time, you start to forget that. And we do this whenever we think we're kind of getting areas of our lives a bit more squared away and a bit more sorted out. You think, okay, well, you know, I was a mess when when I came to Jesus, but, you know, now I'm, I'm doing a bit better. Like, I've, my ethics are sorted out. I'm a bit more of a good guy. I don't make some of the mistakes I made in the past. I, you know, I imagine God is pretty pleased with some of, some of it, you know, not all of it, but some of it. You know, I, I, for me, I, I read my Bible a fair bit. I, I, you not know, all the time, but you know, I'm, I read it a bit. You know, I'm at church more often than I'm not. My marriage is okay most of the time. I, I'm an elder at church. That's pretty good, right? Um, my kids aren't like totally off the rails. Uh, you know, my life isn't like an obvious train wreck. Or I'm not perfect. I've got some bad stuff going on in my life for sure. But, you know, maybe compared to where I was, I'm doing all right. Right? So we start off with 100% grace. We think, oh, 100% grace alone. But after a while, it's maybe 90-10? You know, I'm a little bit proud of some, of some of my things, my upstanding church member. You know, I, I run an ethical healthcare business. I'm, I'm a compassionate healthcare professional with a God-honoring business. Well, well You know, God, he's probably he's like a little bit, little bit pleased, a little bit impressed with that. Not loads, but like a little bit, you know. I'm not 100%, but you know, I'm, I'm peddling a little bit, all right? I'm, I'm peddling along too. So I don't need to be 100% grace, pedaling along, I'm helping it along. But can you see how that is just Jesus plus? It's Jesus plus these rules that I've just talked about there. Coming to church, reading my Bible, being a good husband. I'm contributing. It's like Jesus is the door. Uh, and we go through the door, but it's me doing all these good things that's sort of keeping me in the room in case I just kind of like fall back outside or something like that. Uh, Jesus plus going to church. Jesus plus reading my Bible. Jesus plus being a good husband. Jesus plus being ethical in my business practices, whatever it is. And I'm thinking that keeping the rules is more makes me more acceptable to God. Now, these are different rules to the Pharisees, right? They're talking about circumcision and Old Testament food laws, which I think are ridiculous. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Who would care about those rules? I've got my own set over here, which are very important to me. And these are the ones that, yeah, God's very pleased with me when I keep these rules. Not these ones, but I keep these ones. This law that I've made up, it's not the Old Testament law, it's the law of Ian. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. Those things that I'm talking about are good things. It's good to be a good husband. It's good to read your Bible. It's good to come to church right? All good things. Good, good, good. Back in those days when they're talking circumcision, it's a good thing. You know, keeping the law, these were good things. Some of these things were good. But if you think, if we think that our standing before God is improved or increased in doing and observing those things, you've missed the point. You've made it Jesus plus obedience. Jesus plus keeping the rules. And the really insidious part is when you don't notice that when you don't see that happening because what happens is it gets worse it spreads like a mold through your life and out through your eyes to the way you start to view other people and this is what the pharisees were doing it started off with a little bit of self-righteousness oh i'm pretty pleased you know i'm circumcised hey i keep the law of moses i'm you know i'm doing 10 here it's pretty good But, but then they start looking down on others and pretty soon, you start thinking, well, they're, they're not doing those things. So, you know, if I'm doing those things, I'm pretty acceptable to God. And they're not doing those things, then, well, I'm not sure they're just quite as acceptable to God. And quite soon then, you're saying, well, actually, I think you need to do those things to be acceptable to God. Now, see if you recognize any of these thoughts. I'm going to read out some thoughts. See if any of these click with you or you've ever said or thought any of these things. You don't have to speak, but you may well. You might say things like, I notice he doesn't seem to know his Bible very well. I can see that she isn't very clear on some aspects of her theology. They seem to be pretty hesitant about sharing their faith. And pretty soon, we're not just looking down on people, but we're actually saying, we're equating those things with what it means to be properly saved. What it means to make God happy. So again, here's some more. Ever said anything like this? Not out loud, but maybe just in your head. I'm not sure about that guy. His kids aren't very well behaved. i a bit worried about her. She seems really like career-minded. Those guys, they never just seem to get involved in church properly. His marriage is a total mess. Her history is well, it's pretty checkered, if I'm honest. I don't even think they recycle. <laughs> I've never heard her stand up for social justice. Look at what she's wearing. I think he might be gay. It's Jesus plus obedience all over again. It's Jesus plus that thing over there, that thought that I've just had, that either they're doing, bad thing, or they're failing to do, what I think is a good thing. That's what makes them acceptable to God. Jesus plus that thing equals salvation. And what we're saying is, I'm not sure they're totally acceptable to God. And you know what the two words are that go on the end of that sentence that you never say out loud, but betray your heart? I'm not sure they're totally acceptable to God, like me. Ugly stuff. True for many, true for me. Now, Maybe you're a different kind of soul. Right? Maybe you're looking at that. Half of you maybe are looking at that going, do people really think like that? that is, that's unbelievably ugly, and depraved. How do people think like that? So maybe you're a different kind of soul. Maybe you're not like me, arrogant, proud, whatever, taller, looking down on everybody else, making mistakes, doing things wrong. Maybe you're smaller, looking up at everybody else because you think everybody else is just doing a little bit better than you in your Christian life. Everyone's got their Christian life just a little bit more sorted than yours. Let me read out some other things. See if some of these jive with you. Jive. No one says jive anymore, do they? See if these, what do you say? Ring, ring true? Connect. connect. That's cool. That's trendier. See if any of these things connect with you guys. Right. I really don't know my Bible as well as her. My prayer life is a total mess to these guys. In fact, I haven't prayed In months, in years. I'm still single, and I'm sure God can't use me as much. I'm too scared to tell anyone at school that I'm a Christian. No half decent Christian would struggle with depression like I do. No one who calls himself a follower of Jesus would be battling questions about their gender and sexuality like I am. I say I'm a Christian, but the truth is, I find church dead boring. I'm just pretending to enjoy it. And God hates a fake like me. I've been divorced. My past is so messed up. Some of the thoughts I have are so dark, I'm totally ashamed. I've not read my Bible in years. On the face of it, that seems better than what I've just been talking about. That seems better than Jesus plus obedience, doesn't it? Slightly more noble. Right? It looks like humility. Well, I'm not as good as these guys, you know. But what you're saying is, I'm not as acceptable to God because of this thing in my life, this thing in my past, this thing that I do that I can't get control of, and I'm not acceptable as acceptable to God as they are. I don't know the first thing about theology. Don't lead my home very well as a father. My life is a total mess under the surface. I'm crippled by anxiety. My mental health is a total shambles. I'm not even sure the whole Christianity thing is even real. I've got absolutely nothing to offer Hope City. I am useless. I'm the least godly Christian ever. Now you think if you fix some of those things, you think if you do those things a wee bit better, then, then God will love you more. Then you will be more acceptable to God. He'll be more pleased with you. That's not humility. What's that? It's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus. It's the same. It's Jesus plus self-improvement. Brush myself up a bit. Make myself a bit better. Then I'll be acceptable to God. Then God will love me as much as he loves so-and-so or she-and-she. So whether you're looking down on people from above, that's just Jesus plus obedience, or you're looking up at people from below saying it's Jesus plus self-improvement, it doesn't matter how you do it. You're saying God's grace isn't enough. And we're all guilty of it. We're all just 21st century Pharisees. And if Paul and Barnabas were here now, they would be in sharp dispute with you and with me. Because it's Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. Equals everything. There's a last group in here. Maybe you don't believe in Jesus at all. You don't believe in God. You're not even sure about church. You're just kind of, I don't know why you're here, but you're here. Great. You're welcome. But you're thinking, well, he's talking to all these other guys that believe in Jesus. No big deal. You are no better off because you're just setting your own standards. You're not using the ones in the Bible. You're just setting your own ones. Or you're going by society standards. Who does society, who do people, I'm saying people out there, people say are good people these days? Who are the good people in society? used to be one thing 100 years ago. It changes every generation. Here's some. Those who are true to themselves. Those who stand up for racial injustice. Those who leave a legacy. Those who follow their dreams. Those who help their community. Those who make a difference. Ethical people. Yoga teachers. We don't care... People who don't care what anyone else says. People who inspire other people. People who are authentic. People who do random acts of kindness. People who restore your faith in humanity. People who work in the third sector. Artists who break new ground. Musicians who devote their life to their craft. Those who do lots for charity. Vegetarians people who care about the environment. You can add your own list, people who are tolerant. Whatever you like, I don't know, you can think of other ones. Put them on the bottom of that list. That is who are truly good people by society's standards. And in saying that, what you're saying is, what those good people have, good people, what they have, that's what you're looking for, that. They have fulfillment. They have purpose. They have meaning. They have salvation. It's another word for the same thing. We're all searching for it. We're searching for that meaning and that purpose. And your formula for finding it, if you don't believe in Jesus, is being a good person equals salvation. You just scrubbed up the Jesus bit. Just circle the plus bit. It's just plus equals salvation. Do more plus, then you've got meaning. Then you've got fulfillment. Then you've got purpose. Then you're a good person. It's just Plus. But the truth is, salvation is found in nothing else, in no one else, not in veganism, not in confronting the patriarchy, not in standing up for the oppressed, not in being a good person. It is only through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that you can be saved. Amen. Amen. Just as we are. I'm no better off. That's how I'm saved. Not by being a good guy, not by being an elder in the church. Same as you, same as anybody. And that, my friends, is why it's good news. Because there's a way out from this suffocation of feeling worse than everybody else as you look around. There's an escape from the ugly pride of looking down on everybody else as you look around. There's release from the crushing burden of failing to live up to your own or society standards for what means good. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what you know about God or don't know about God, whether you're a Christian or not, man, woman, child, slave, free, rich, poor, non binary, able bodied, good or bad, sorted out, flaming hot mess. It doesn't matter. It's the wonderful news that it is God's grace in Christ Jesus and that alone which saves. Unending. Unfathomable, unstoppable, unlimited grace that brings salvation for anyone who asks. It is as simple as this Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's pray. Father, I am an expert in hiding my pride. I am a master in concealing my shame, but I am in good company because we are all the same. We thank you for the level ground at the foot of the cross. No matter how messed up we are, how we look on the inside, how we look on the outside, we lay down our pride, we cast off our shame, and we say thank you for rescuing us from these bodies of sin. Thank you that our salvation doesn't depend on us. We remind ourselves again that it is by grace we are saved, from the worst of us to the best. Thank you that Christ made the mark so that we don't have to. And it's by his righteousness we can stand before you, forgiven, welcomed, and loved. Amen. Now, if grasping the, even just the corner of those truths doesn't make you want to sing I don't know what will. So let's stand together and let's praise God. Hallelujah. Salvation is in Christ alone.